Hi, this is Chris Hart, host of Plugged On with Chris Hart, and I'm taking Alabama over Tennessee in their game October 21st. Bet Online has free odds and lines available online or on your mobile device. Visit Bet Online today. Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this high. It might make you nervous. Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today. Welcome to the podcast, Crime Salad, where we talk true crime. I'm your host, Ashley, and with me always is my husband and partner in crime, Ricky. The purpose of this podcast is to honor the victims through ethical storytelling in the hopes of preventing future tragedies. We want our stories to resonate and educate others in hopes that some of these similar cases with identifiable patterns can be prevented. Now, before we jump in, please let us warn you that this is a true crime podcast. The details of this episode may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion advised. We would like to give you that extra content warning because this episode contains descriptions of violence and harm inflicted upon medically fragile infants, which may be distressing to some listeners. Listener discretion advised. So when we left off in part one with Baby K, Lucy was actually interrupted in the process of trying to remove Baby K's breathing tube. She was interrupted by Dr. Jayaram, who testified against her in court at her trial. He was one of the two doctors who originally began to suspect all of the excess emergencies and deaths were due to the common denominator of Lucy Letby. And as we discussed, Baby K's parents had her transferred to a different hospital where they decided to withdraw her medical care and allow her to peacefully pass away. The prosecution alleges that this is because her expected outcome had deteriorated after Lucy's two alleged attempts on her life. Baby L and Baby M were twin baby boys who Lucy attempted to kill on April 6th, 2016. And as you may have noticed, Lucy often attempted to harm twins and even one set of triplets. The prosecution alleged her jealousy over not being married and having a family of her own was the partial motivation for harming some of the children and also stalking their parents for months and sometimes years on social media. As we previously discussed, Lucy had an alleged friendship with another doctor who was married with children. A review of their text messages indicates that there may have been more there than just a friendship. Although during Lucy's testimony, she admitted to loving this doctor, but only as a friend. However, there was testimony that the two would often go out to eat together and had even gone on a trip together, indicating that the relationship may have crossed boundaries. One of the other alleged motivations in this case is that Lucy was upset when he was scheduled to work in another part of the hospital, preventing her from seeing him. 
Allegedly, she harmed some of the babies with the expectation that he would come and resuscitate them and spend some time with her in a highly emotionally charged environment, giving them something to talk about and giving Lucy opportunities to see him on shifts where absent these staged emergencies wouldn't see him at all. There were attempts on baby L and M's lives similar to the attempts on baby E and F, another set of twins that we discussed in part one. You may recall that eight months earlier, Lucy was charged with murdering baby E by injecting an air bubble into his bloodstream. And she tried to murder his twin brother, baby F, by poisoning two of his feeding bags with insulin. On April 9th, 2016, Lucy was working a day shift when it was alleged that she gave an unauthorized dose of insulin to baby L. While she was waiting for the insulin to incapacitate him, she turned her attention to baby M by injecting an air bubble into his bloodstream, causing him to immediately collapse. The prosecutor alleged that Lucy learned from her failed attempt by poisoning baby F with insulin, so she increased the dose she gave to baby L. During Lucy's cross-examination, she again agreed with the prosecutor that someone had introduced a synthetic, unnatural form of insulin into baby M's gastric nasal tube. However, she denied being the person who was responsible. She believed that it could have been an accident from untrained staff asked to care for too many babies with insufficient resources. She also said it could have happened at the manufacturing stage of the nutrition bags. While baby M came close to death after his heart rate and breathing lowered, he did recover overnight with different caregivers. The defense alleged that there was no proof to prove that Lucy did anything to compromise baby L or M's health and was only being blamed because the prosecution was actively looking for natural occurrences to substantiate the claims against her. Baby N was born at 34 weeks gestation on June 2, 2016 at the Countess of Chester Hospital, weighing 3.6 pounds. His clinical condition was described as excellent and stable, despite being born with a mild genetic condition called mild hemophilia. Mild hemophilia in an infant refers to a disorder where the baby has a relatively mild deficiency or dysfunction of the clotting factors in their blood. This means that their blood may take slightly longer to clot, resulting in a tendency for prolonged bleeding after minor injuries or surgeries. However, compared to moderate or severe hemophilia, the bleeding symptoms experienced by infants with mild forms are generally less severe and easily treatable. But to be clear, there is no cure for this disorder. The prosecutor alleged that Lucy may have seen baby N's clotting disorder as a cover to make an attempt on his life. At 1.05 a.m., baby N suffered a sudden lowering of his blood oxygen levels to a life-threatening level. Baby N was also crying and screaming as if he were in pain. It's alleged that Lucy attacked several of the other babies by shoving a medical device or breathing tube down their throats, causing bleeding and injury. With a rapid response by on-call experts, baby N recovered after emergency assistance. Independent medical experts testified that baby N's sudden deterioration was consistent with some kind of inflicted injury. He also could have had an air bubble injected into his bloodstream, which would explain the discoloration on his abdomen that several other babies suffered. 
According to the prosecution, 12 days after that incident, baby N was ready to go home with his parents. When Lucy arrived that day, she came over to say hello to him, despite not being assigned to his care. While the other nurse's back was turned, Lucy told her that baby N had low oxygen levels and needed assistance with his breathing. A doctor arrived but was unable to put a breathing tube into the child's throat after discovering fresh blood inside his mouth. The doctor couldn't see the back of the baby's throat because it was so swollen, shut, after some sort of injury. Several other doctors with higher levels of expertise were called to assist with baby N. None of the other medical experts, including a neonatologist, could get past the injury in baby N's throat. An independent medical expert suggested the blood in baby N's throat was due to a thrusting of a tube or a medical device into the back of his throat to intentionally inflict injury or bleeding. And bleeding was a significant risk because of his hemophilia. Baby N was transferred to another hospital where he could receive specialized care and recover quickly and immediately. The defense said that this was another example of the hospital providing substandard levels of care. And this is proof that baby N should have been treated at a different hospital with a rating for higher-risk infants. Baby O was a triplet, and he was one set of three identical boys who had been conceived naturally. Conceiving identical triplets naturally is extremely rare. Identical triplets occur when a single fertilized egg splits into three separate embryos. The likelihood of this happening naturally is estimated to be 1 in 60,000 births. They are considered rare and remarkable. Because of this, the babies were getting a lot of attention in the unit. They were also born extremely healthy. Now, Lucy had taken a few days off. She had just returned from a vacation in Ibiza, where she returned on the next day to the triplet's birth. Baby O was in good condition and was stable up until the afternoon of June 23, 2016. It's alleged that Lucy made several attempts on Baby O's life. His stomach was so distended as a result of an alleged air embolism that his lungs couldn't expand and he couldn't breathe. In between the attacks on Baby O were several sets of x-rays. One of the x-rays taken after his first attack showed that he had suffered trauma to his liver so severe that it was consistent with being in a high-impact car accident. The prosecutor alleged that the impact-type trauma on Baby O's liver was the result of a brutal assault. A post-mortem examination found unclotted blood in his body from a liver injury and certified his death on the basis of natural causes and intra-abdominal bleeding. The reason for this finding was because, according to the prosecutor, a coroner couldn't have conceived that a nurse would brutally attack an infant. The expert also concluded that Baby O had received an excessive amount of air into his bloodstream through his nasogastric tube. A medical expert, Dr. Evans, testified at Lucy's trial that Baby O's death was a result of a combination of two things— it was a result of an intravenous air injection and trauma to his liver, which caused internal bleeding. Dr. Evans testified, quote, I felt that the blood found in the liver was responsible for his collapse, and at the time, I thought that this was the result of trauma. In other words, there was some trauma to the liver, which had led to the collapse. Any bleeding to the liver would destabilize the baby and would compromise the baby's well-being.
Dr. Evans ruled out CPR being the cause of the liver bleed, saying that the chest compressions that were performed were carried out by experienced doctors who never get near the liver. He also examined Baby O's chest x-rays, which showed an excessive amount of air in his abdomen. He further testified, quote, I thought the air in the abdomen was excessive and could indicate air having been injected into the stomach via a nasogastric tube, end quote. Another doctor testified that Baby O also had skin that looked unusual and mottled. Dr. Stephen Breary also had testified that Baby O had an unusual rash on his chest, which happened in several of the other infants that they suspected Lucy was responsible for killing. Dr. Evans concurred that the rash observed on Baby O was a sign that the baby had been injected with air. This rash matched a concerning and repeating pattern which first caused him to suspect Lucy was intentionally harming patients. He testified that his bottom-line diagnosis was that Baby O's death was the result of a non-naturally occurring air embolism. Now, Lucy, she testified that she was originally shocked and upset by the baby boy's death and denied deliberately causing him harm. When asked why she conducted Facebook searches for his parents on the one-year anniversary of baby O and also his brother, baby P's death, she couldn't explain it and she didn't remember it. In the defense, they accused the doctor, Dr. Evans, for looking for evidence to match and knit pieces of evidence together to support the allegations against Lucy. The defense also alleged that baby O could have received the trauma to his liver during extensive efforts to revive him during CPR, and they denied that Lucy had any involvement in his death. Just 24 hours after his death, his brother, baby P, would also be dead. As we know, Baby P was the triplet brother to Baby O. Lucy is alleged to have murdered him on June 24, 2016, just one day after the death of his brother. Child P suffered an acute deterioration before preparations were made to transfer him to another hospital. The doctors were optimistic about his outcome, despite his collapse, which required oxygen. As the doctor was preparing him for transfer, Lucy made an odd comment. She stated, quote, he is not leaving here alive, is he? The doctor was immediately alarmed by this comment and testified that it is not something she ever thinks of when treating her patients. In fact, she said that's one of the things that all of the staff in the neonatal unit have in common is unwavering optimism that their patients will get better and go home with their families. Shortly after making that statement, Baby P, who was stable once again, suddenly collapsed under Lucy's care. The coroner stated that the most likely cause of Baby P's death was due to air injected into his stomach, which compromised his breathing. They said that his stomach was so large and unusually distended that he resembled the fictional alien from the movie E.T. On cross-examination, Lucy denied harming any of the triplets, nor making the statement that none of them would leave that unit alive. The third triplet was also given excess air and clear liquid, endangering his life and proving that Lucy intended to murder all three babies. All three of the infants were around four months at birth, only needing minimal care while they gained weight and grew stronger. 
After the death of the two brothers, his parents demanded that the third baby be transferred out of the Countess Hospital immediately. In fact, the parents begged a hospital transfer team to take their baby to another hospital. And the father testified that he told them if they didn't agree to taking his surviving son out of that hospital, they were going to take him themselves. Both of the parents testified against Lucy, stating that she brought both baby O and baby P's deceased bodies to them, all bathed and dressed. She also presented them with a memory box filled with hand and foot impressions, a lock of hair and photos. The mother testified that Lucy was extremely upset and emotional and crying in their presence. At one point, the parents felt like they needed to console her and tend to her emotional needs. In retrospect, it appeared callous, cold, and disingenuous. Within 72 hours of Lucy telling a co-worker she would, quote, be back with a bang after her vacation, two babies were dead and a third had collapsed. On her first morning back, there was a lot of buzz about the birth of the triplets. She started by texting the doctor she allegedly had a crush on by stating, quote, It's a bit rubbish that you couldn't stay on in the neonatal unit. When Lucy was asked if she was disappointed by his absence, she said yes, she was because she enjoyed working with him. She was asked if she missed him and wanted to get his attention, which she denied. Finally, she was asked directly if she sabotaged Baby O and Baby P to get his attention and create a reason for him to return to the unit. Again, this was something she denied. She said her only goal in summoning him to the unit was to assist Baby O and not to gain his personal attention. When asked if she had overfed Baby O, she blamed it on a student nurse that she was mentoring. Lucy was also accused of creating a false narrative with medical records and also lying about who was last to see the affected babies or who was the first to notice when they were struggling. The prosecutor alleged that Lucy would often try to get another nurse to notice when a baby was struggling or had collapsed. Baby Q was another little boy that the prosecution alleged Lucy tried to kill on June 25, 2016. The medical theory for Baby Q was that Lucy injected him with excess air and a clear fluid, possibly water or saline, into his stomach via a nasogastric tube. When the on-call doctor performed CPR and other life-saving measures, he noticed a clear fluid expressed through his mouth. He said there is no circumstance where this fluid could have been natural. Someone would have had to force it into the baby's stomach through a gastric tube. It was highly suspicious, and the hospital felt it was proof that this baby had been sabotaged. It was also the last baby that Lucy was allowed to have contact with. Baby Q was transferred to another facility where he quickly made a rapid recovery without any other emergency events. After the collapse of Baby Q, Dr. J. Ram and Dr. Breary once again demanded that Lucy be taken out of the neonatal unit. That is when the hospital made the decision to transfer her to a clerical job, where they investigated all of the suspicious deaths and collapses. Lucy was told that this transfer was for her sake to help her recover from dealing with all of the deaths in the unit, but Lucy didn't take it well. Another doctor, Dr. Gibbs, had joined the other two doctors in demanding Lucy's transfer. Dr. Gibbs testified that Lucy's presence had been noted as a common factor in numerous unusual deaths and collapses from June 2015 to June 2016. 
and he told the court that the deaths of the two triplets, Baby O and Baby P, were the tipping point for this team. He told the court that when he saw Baby O in the moments before his death, he remembered feeling uncomfortable and thought, oh no, not another one. As a precaution, he ordered that the remaining two boys be placed on antibiotics and sent for x-rays and blood tests. All of the tests showed that the boys were within the normal range. So when he learned about Baby P's death the following day, he testified he would have not expected that outcome at all. All three of the triplets were born healthy and over four pounds each. All they needed was minimal care while they grew and gained weight. It was after the death of the brothers that, quote, it was the tipping point for realizing something very abnormal was wrong and was happening in the neonatal unit. This was happening again and again over that year. That cannot be a coincidence or bad luck. There has to be a direct cause, end quote. It was one of the other consultants who eventually went to the executive manager after the deaths of Baby O and Baby P. None of the consultants could explain why they failed to go to the police if they truly believed someone was killing the babies in the neonatal unit. He did say that there was pushback from some doctors after a group of four doctors voiced their concerns with Lucy's standards of care. But he explained those away as those doctors not having the full picture, and they only knew that Lucy was a common factor. But Lucy lived on site in nurse and doctor housing while she saved to buy her own home. It was a fact that Lucy was always willing to pick up a shift, often working six days in a row in order to fund her dream of purchasing a house. He said that after he and a few of his colleagues requested Lucy be removed, it wasn't immediately granted. There was a lot of pushback from the managers and administration as many people liked Lucy and couldn't imagine her harming any children. Dr. Gibbs told the administration that the only way that he would agree to allow Lucy to return to the unit is if the hospital installed CCTV in each room of the unit. Over the next 11 months, the management consistently pushed to allow Lucy to return to her duties. In fact, Lucy was pushing to return to her duties as well. She even filed a grievance against the doctors who were standing in the way of her return. The hospital refused to install CCTV monitors, citing the expense and the invasion of privacy for their patients and their families. When Lucy finally took the stand on direct examination, she told the court that she was the first person in her family to graduate from college, and she made her parents immensely proud. She told the court that her whole world stopped when she was first accused of the murders of multiple babies in the hospital's neonatal unit. She said as a result of her arrest, she has suffered depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder for which she now takes medicine. At the time of her testimony, which ended just last week, she had been in jail for two and a half years while awaiting her day in court to clear her name. At the age of 33 now, she said her entire career in life had been destroyed. All she ever wanted to do was help babies and swore she would never harm them. She denied killing the seven babies or trying to kill the other ten for which she stands accused. When asked about the post-it note with seemingly incriminating comments, she said she felt like a failure and perhaps the babies were harmed because of her incompetence, but she never intentionally harmed any of them. 
some of the words in the note were not good enough. I can't breathe, I can't focus, and I hate myself. She said the accusations were devastating and she couldn't think of anything worse. She stated she never harmed any babies, but she did consider harming herself after the allegations had been made against her. She told the jury that the hospital had a problem with raw sewage and several of the sinks on the floor had raw sewage coming out of them in nursery room one. She also claimed that it prevented staff from properly washing their hands, which could have been a contributory issue. Lucy had been told by her supervisors that she was being removed from her unit because outside consultants had raised concerns about her common link with a number of baby deaths and near deaths. That was July 2016. She told the court, quote, I was devastated. It was life-changing. At the moment, I was taken away from the support system I had on the unit. I was put in a role I did not enjoy, and I had to pretend it was voluntary. It made me question everything about myself. My job was my life. I can't put it into words, it's just my whole world has stopped. I think it's completely changed everything about me, about my life, about the hopes I had for the future. Everything is just gone. When asked why she wrote the phrase, I am evil, I did this on a post-it note, she told the court, quote, because I felt at the time I had done something wrong and I thought I'm such an awful, evil person that I had made mistakes and not known, that somehow I had been incompetent and had done something wrong to affect these babies. I felt I must be responsible in some way. On the same post-it note, she had written the names of two of the triplets she was accused of killing in June of 2016, along with the words, we tried our best, and today is your birthday and you aren't here, and I'm sorry for that. She told the court that she wrote the note on the one-year anniversary of their death because she had been thinking about them. She said she felt distraught because she and her co-workers had all tried their best, and she always tried her best, but sometimes good wasn't good enough. On another note, she wrote the word bastards about two of the doctors who had accused her of harming babies that died or got ill under her care. Those two doctors had gone to the hospital several times about their suspicions. We know now that it was finally at their insistence that Lucy was eventually removed from the neonatal unit. Lucy would often do Facebook searches on the parents of many of her patients. The prosecutor alleged that she wanted to immerse herself in their happy lives and then revel and take delight in their sadness and grief, taking perverse pleasure in knowing she was the person who destroyed their happy family. Between June 2015 and June 2016, she made 2,381 Facebook searches. She said her searches were a normal way for her to satisfy her curiosity about friends, colleagues, and parents of children she had treated. Lucy testified that all of the searches were conducted on her phone during periods when she had time to waste. One of the biggest revelations in the trial was that Lucy had written the initials of all of the babies she had been accused of killing in her diary. Alongside some of the names were the words, kill me, and I don't know if I killed them. Maybe I did, maybe this is all down to me. Lucy sobbed through this testimony, saying she began to doubt herself and her skills and thought maybe through human error she was responsible. 
She denied intentionally harming any babies, and she denied that she kept trophies of her kills. Police found hundreds of written notes that are supposed to stay on the unit for each baby in various places in her home. In bags under her bed, and some she kept in a keepsake box with other special things and photos. She said that all of those papers were taken home by accident, inadvertently placed in her pocket. She said she was known to collect papers, but the prosecution states that some of them were trash, notes by doctors, and she purposely took them out of the trash to save them as keepsakes and memories of her kills. Kind of like a serial killer. As of yet, there is no verdict in Lucy's trial. She still has the benefit of the doubt and is presumed innocent. And of course, absent a guilty verdict, there isn't proof that she is a serial killer or a killer of any kind. In general, regarding the behavior of serial killers, some may keep trophies as a way to relive their crimes or exert control over their victims, even after the act has been committed. These trophies can be personal belongings, photographs, or body parts taken as mementos. The specific reasons for keeping trophies vary among individuals, but it can be linked to psychological gratification, a desire for power, or as a way to preserve a sense of dominance over their victims. It's important to note that not all serial killers keep trophies, and motivations for such behavior can vary from case to case. The study and understanding of complex psychology and motivations behind criminal behavior are ongoing areas of research in criminology and forensic psychology. But the most important thing to note is that Lucy Letby hasn't yet been convicted of anything, and nurses who kill are often thought of as angels of mercy, which couldn't be any further from the truth. In reality, nurses who kill are healthcare serial killers or medical killers who exploit their positions of trust and responsibility. They are outliers and violators of the ethical principles and standards upheld by the nursing profession. According to the prosecutors, as the final chapter of the Lucy Letby case unfolded, the truth became crystal clear. After a painstaking investigation, they believed and believe that they have enough evidence against her to prove she is guilty on all 22 counts. But that remains for a jury to decide. The haunting echoes of the Countess of Chester Hospital are forever etched in the memories of those involved. Families devastated by the loss of their precious infants found solace in the knowledge that the person responsible for their unimaginable pain will face the consequences of her actions. If found guilty, the Lucy Letby case stands as a chilling reminder of the darkness that can lurk within the walls of even the most trusted institutions and the unwavering determination to uncover the truth. So we want to know your thoughts. We would love to know what you think about the Lucy Letby case. Do you think they have the right person on trial? Or was this just a combination of medical errors and incompetence? We would love for you to tell us on our social media pages, so let us know what you think. And also, before we jump off here, we want to give a special thank you to Sean, Tara, and Samantha. Thank you all so much for becoming patrons of Crime Salad. Thank you for supporting our show. We really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the ad-free listens. And we will be back next week with another episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. All right, see you later. 
On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.